0: What does motion sound like? With Kizik Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks.
1: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them.
0: What's up kinfolk? folks? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mill. Welcome to the number 1 ranked show. Going to talk with Arizona State head coach Herm Edwards who gives a really great recruiting pitch as to Arizona State and one I don't think that any parent is ever going to dismiss, quite honestly. And he was so fun to talk to, so good to talk to. The Herm Edwards, you probably know the Herm Edwards you probably love. I want to get into quarterback power rankings. Yes. It is that time of year. We've had post-spring. We've seen some things change. And yeah, I love talking about quarterbacks. Plus, y'all like to hear me talk about quarterbacks. So we're going to talk about quarterbacks here at the list. Uh, I'm going to put top 10 out on the socials. We'll go through the five here at the top of the list. Some of them I'm sure you will disagree with. Please let us know at the number one show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever it is that you would like to follow us. And if you're here, and you are, leave a five-star review wherever it is that you get your podcast, wherever it is you like to watch or listen to this show. But since we talk about Arizona State and we're going to be talking about quarterbacks, I think we ought to talk about the Pac-12 because the conversation has been for the last, well, five years really. Is the Pac-12 ever going to be back? Is it going to be what people remember it to be during the Pete Carroll years when USC was running roughshod over people? When Rick Neuheisel's squads were awesome right when we could really look at UCLA and start to depend on them winning 10 games a year and the way that I go at this right because spend a lot of time thinking about what I want to say and how I want to say it because that's the job is the thing about how I talk about it with my friends so I'm in a group chat with a Washington fan an Oregon fan and a Georgia fan now the Washington fan remembers that They're the last team from the Pac-12 to make the college football playoff, right, five years ago. The Oregon fan remembers that they're the last Pac-12 squad to actually play in a national title game, right? But the Georgia fan, he knows that 11 out of 15 national champions last 15 years come from his conference. And that's really what it has been about when we talk about this amongst ourselves, right? We talk about what is the strongest conference and we rank them, right? SEC being at the top. And depending on how you feel about the Big 12, ACC, or Pac-12, you got them in some descending order with the Big 10 probably sitting in number two because of what Ohio State has been able to do. And while people would tell you over and over again, the Big 10 is a one-team league, so is the Big 12. Which one has produced the national champion in the last... 15 years, right? You're talking about Ohio State and the Big Ten. But the other way we go at this is how do you recruit and how do you develop and how many championships you win? So when we take a look at the development part of it, right, I start with NFL draft picks. So from 2011 to 2020, the SEC has produced 529 NFL draft picks, 103. Uh, in the first round this year produced 66 right and Alabama had 10 players selected the ACC has produced 360 the Big Ten has produced 359 the Pac-12 has produced 323 and the Big 12 has produced 226 now the Big 12 has been a 10 team league for some time now so the numbers are going to be a little off there but when we talk about first rounders you talking about the Pac-12 putting out 44 and the Big Ten putting out 45, ACC putting out 50 and the Big 12 putting out 33. So we know what the SEC is and we know that it's in a class unto itself. But when you look at the development part of it, the Pac-12 has been right there when you talk about what the NFL values and the NFL does not have a team in college football. Right. It wants the best players possible. If it goes to get those dudes from an FCS squad. Like North Dakota State, we've seen Carson Wentz, Trey Lance here in recent years. That's what they're going to do. And that's a good way, I think, to judge development because they're nonpartisan on this issue. They don't really care. They just want to take the top 2% of players as they see it. The other way that I think we take a look at this is how much do you value your coaches? Now, having a conversation about coaches' salaries is something else entirely, but you can also take a look at Which ones are willing to pay their guys at the top of the list? SEC, obviously, leading here. The average salary of a head coach, right, at the SEC level is $5.6 million. The Big Ten, $4.6 million. Big 12, $4.1 million. ACC, $3.8 million. And the Pac-12, $3.5 million. So they're producing first-rounders nearly on par with the Big Ten. But they're separated by about six hundred grand on average when you're talking about salaries. Maybe you raise the level of salary, you get a better result. Maybe, right? But that's only one part of it. The other part of it that I think is also big is recruiting. We know Texas, Florida, Georgia, and California put out the best and most blue chip prospects in the nation year in and year out. Cal, USC, UCLA, they don't really have an excuse for me here you should get the dudes that you want. To say nothing of an Arizona, or Arizona State, because I think that the state of Arizona has also been putting out some hitters here of late. But when you take a look at some of the guys that have come out of these states that are Pac-12 states, Arizona, Washington, California, and you look at where they've gone in recent years, your head scratching. Emeka Ekbuka is the number one wide receiver in 2021 out of Washington, Ohio State, okay? Spencer Rattler, best quarterback in the 2019 class out of Arizona. Goes to Oklahoma. B. John Robinson, a five-star tailback in the 2020 class. He goes to Texas. DJ Ungulale played at St. John Bosco in California. He's at Clemson. Bryce Young coming out of modern day. He's at Alabama. JT Daniels coming out of modern day. He's at Georgia. That can't be so. If you're USC in particular, but UCLA, Cal, Washington, Oregon, you got to go down and keep your kids in your region and then you develop those prospects into the kind of players that you've shown you can do right so when you take a look at those things it's really can you compete with the sec with clemson because it ain't really the acc It's clemson oklahoma and texas to keep your kids like this is a rare year in which you've got dudes coming out of the state of washington and only really one of them pick washington sam huart right we'll see about JT Tui-Molau, right? Who's still going to take his visits, but there are signs to show you that Ohio State is a really good spot for him. Now, it's not to say that Washington isn't, but it would be a tremendous boom for the conference if Jimmy Lake and Washington could pull off that win and keep what we think as the best non-quarterback, perhaps, the last two years, depending on how you feel about Brian Brzee, Staying at Washington, right? Now, the other part about this that I think is lost on a lot of people is that college football is cyclical. It wasn't that long ago that the Pac-12 was running roughshod over everybody winning national championships, just ask 2004 Oklahoma, okay? And it wasn't that long ago that Rick Neuheisel had us scared to death of playing Washington in a non-conference game At Oklahoma, wasn't that long ago that the SEC was a joke in my lifetime. I do think these things are going to come back around, and they tend to. You've got Oregon on its come up. We've got USC who showed out in a pandemic season, right? Arizona State, I think, is a dark horse to make the playoff, depending on how they get through the first part of their schedule. Like Utah has reloaded. You're going to see some good football here but you also can't take these high profile defeats in non-conference scheduling. You can't have Auburn beat up on Washington and Oregon in back-to-back years. Like they had in 2018, 2019, you can't have Oregon show up to Columbus this year and lay an egg against an Ohio state team. That is really a quarterback away from, I think playing in the college football playoff. You've got to have UCLA show up against LSU later this year when they play in a non-conference game, right? You've got to see Colorado show up and give Texas A&M a game, if not beat them in their non-conference game. And then we'll see the tide turn. You see those things start to take shape. You'll see the recruiting start to pick up. See the recruiting start to pick up. They'll produce more draft picks than the Big 10, than the ACC, than the Big 12. And then you can start having a conversation about not just making the playoff, but competing for national championships. Because when you start to see those Pac-12 schools compete for national championships, then we're not going to have this conversation anymore right? It's going to be, oh, so that's what the Pac-12 is up to now. And this is going to be really interesting as we figure out who the new Pac-12 commissioner is going to be when the television deals do something different. But my goodness, if there's a bear that is still sleeping, it's over there in the Pacific, all right? It's going to be a bit, it's not going to be that long though, because just taking a look at what it has been in the past, Remember when it was Texas, Oklahoma, 05 to basically 2010, and it, it, neither one of those teams have made the national championship game since, right? Remember when it was Marcus Mariota in Oregon 2014? It'll be there again. But you're going to have to start by keeping your kids in your region and then continuing to develop them. So we'll see because recruiting is about to pick up in a hurry. I expect to see a ton of decommitments and I expect to see a ton of commitments. Stat that I'll leave you with, Last year, this time, we saw 130 dudes among the top 300 players in the country committed to a university. This year, that number is down to 27, which is to say, A, a, we're not really interested in taking your commits right now, and B, we are going to see people have a run-on in June, July, August, all the way up through. This is the time for the Pac-12 to try to make up a gap in its recruiting. All right. Now I want to talk with Coach. Herm Edwards, who was outstanding. Let's talk to Herm. I'm joined by Arizona State head coach, Herm Edwards. Coach, how you doing? I am well. Um,
1: And you know, this month in college football generally, it is recruiting. I say that, but recruiting is 12 months out of the year, but (laughs) this generally is a big month because for most coaches at this point in time, they would be out of the offices, but due to the restrictions, um, we're doing a lot of that through Zoom, Uh, Next month will be the ability for most of the coaches in the country to actually go out and uh, get on the road as as well as bring players in uh, on your campus to evaluate them as well.
0: One of the things that I thought was interesting about last year in recruiting and this year in recruiting is just how much coaches miss things that they sort of took for granted, like talking to people, uh, getting to know them in their homes, getting to shake hands with folks, hug folks, get to know mama, get to be in the kitchen, what were some of those things that you missed? Well, you mentioned
1: it, uh, the personal touch. Um, it, it's, it's much more comfortable when you can talk to people face to face. You feel that that energy that, that, that comes from the conversations. Um, but here again, I think everyone had to, to adjust. I mean, the one thing we can say, um, we all have had the ability to adjust, regardless of what we, whether we like it or not. And I think what's really kind of funny this Zoom thing has become one of those deals where, where I'm kind of Zoomed out. <laughs> but everybody wants to have a Zoom meeting all of a sudden. You know, before you could, you know, people didn't, okay, well, we got to cancel the meeting. Now it's kind of like, oh, can we have another Zoom meeting? I'm saying, man, I'm Zoomed out, man. I only got so many Zooms every day. <laughs> but everybody wants to have a Zoom
0: meeting. I ask that question all the time. Like, can we do this in a phone call? Is that Do you, Do I need to sit down for this? Okay, all right. All right. All right. All right. Well, I, I guess... But then the other part of that is the, the virtual tour yes. became a term that I we'd never heard before, and now we hear all the time. Do you see things like that staying in your organization? I think it helps
1: you, obviously, and I think it helps the recruits, too. I mean, if you're a recruit and you only have five official visits, um, that becomes very difficult if you're a highly recruited athlete. So if you can think about it this way now, let's just say you got a top five, but there's maybe three or four more you really want to see. Virtual tour is the way to go about doing it, right? That might change it that might even change your mind to decide, you know what, I kind of like that. Maybe I ought to make that an official visit instead of a virtual tour visit. So I think it can help you uh, as an athlete. It helps, it helps coaches for sure, because you have the ability to, to see the athlete, to see the family. And I think the thing that we've realized with the virtual tour, they can meet everyone in your organization. Gentlemen, we have virtual tours. I mean, the ADs involved in it, Um, all the the staff people that are involved in recruiting the student-athletes, not just the coaches, it's the trainers, it's the equipment men, they meet all these different, there must be 20 people in the box, right, Mm when you're meeting this family, and um, the ADs in the box, the assistant ADs in the box, the head coaches in the, I mean, so it's kind of interesting how many people could get involved in a virtual tour
0: last year y'all were one of the few programs that actually got some practices in before the shutdown this year getting a full spring in how much better do you feel about your football team well
1: there's a lot to gain in spring football there's a reason why they do that obviously and one for us because we had so many guys coming back that they decided to come back we only really lost two players off this team Frank darby receiver got drafted For the Atlanta Falcons and we had a fifth year senior that graduated and he's going to move on. He's going to go to the business world. But we had a lot of other guys that decided to come back. I think the key for us was I treated it almost like in pro football. Mm -hmm. Um, When you have a veteran group of guys, it was really good for us to let a lot of the young guys. We had 11, 12 freshmen come in in the spring. Plus we had some sophomore kids and some freshmen last year who didn't play a lot, didn't participate. So spring ball was really about those young guys more than the veteran guys. So the veterans wore the the vet hat, you know, they would practice a couple days and then all of a sudden, okay, you got to help us coach now. So a lot of young players got the repetitions uh, that they did not get last year. And I think that'll help.
0: You mentioned spring ball being sort of helpful, right? But I wonder this, what was spring ball like when you were at Cal?
1: Well, the Cal Berkeley's now that's a whole different deal. that's, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the team we had was pretty good. Eleven guys on that team were pro football players. <laughs> You're talking Chuck Muncy, Wesley Walker, uh, Steve Burkowski, Vince Ferragamo. It was quite competitive to say the least. Um, but uh, you know that was my first days in college. When you go to go to Cal right out of high school, and you know you don't really know a lot about spring ball. All of a sudden you get you get involved in spring football and you say wow. And and you know you figure out you know this thing is real, right? And 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 It was a lot of fun, for sure, but um, you learn a lot about yourself, I think, if you're a freshman coming in and after you've gone through a season. The confidence you have gained after that season going into spring ball, I mean, it's tremendous. Because now you feel like, you know what, I've gone through my freshman year. Now I can – it's going into my sophomore year, I'm going to have spring ball. You just feel more confident as a football player.
0: I'll bring up your time at Cal because I was doing some research, preparing for this interview, and there's still a record you have that stands. Do you know what that record is?
1: The interceptions in one game?
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
1: Yeah, I was fortunate. Um, It was just one of those days. They threw the ball five times, and I knocked one down and intercepted the other four. But, um... (laughs) You say that like
0: it's it's just ain't no thing. (laughs) Well, I was pretty good catching.
1: You know, I I was one of those guys in high school that... um, we had a pretty good high school football team. I went to Monterey High School. I actually got bused out of out of Seaside where I live and went across the town to go to a predominantly white high school back in 68 when I was in high school. President Johnson uh, signed the des- desegregation bill. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, it was about bringing minorities to different schools. So I got bused over there. Had a really good football team, actually. Lost one game in three years. So growing up, uh, I was a Bob Hayes fan. Hmm. I wanted to play wide receiver, right? Love the Dallas Cowboys and 22. going to high school football and saying, man, I'm going to catch all these passes and these touchdowns. We ran the option. <laughs> <laughs> I, played I played tight end and that was a free safety, right? So I said, man, if they ain't going to throw me the ball, I'm going to have to intercept the ball. So I had pretty good hands. I, You know, I, I, I could intercept balls and that was a natural deal for me. And then obviously when I got to college, uh, my first first year at Cal, I actually played uh, safety because I was a safety in high school, and then I moved to corner. And I got I got the four, the four when, when I was playing corner against Washington State. Um, but um, I was always pretty good catching the football. You know, I, I, my claim to fame I tell people all the time from high school to college to professional football, I never missed a practice. I never missed a start. Mm. So that was kind of my claim to fame. I was one of those guys that knew that the most important thing in life is not only being coachable but being available so I was always available because, you know, the game of football is a game of, 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 of preparation, practice. Uh, you practice more than you play. And uh, I was always in the mindset of the fact that you get better on the grass When you put your cleats on the grass. That's where you, that's where you dig your, your career out. You dig it in, you, you dig it out on the grass and you got to work at it. And that was always my work ethic and how I was, was built. You know, you, in pro football, I almost had four in one game, um, but someone knocked one away, but I ended up with 38 of them total, so I could catch the football pretty good.
0: So have quarterbacks gotten that much better, or were they that much worse? Didn't throw the ball as much, mm.
1: right? When, when I entered pro football, uh, even college football, was not a passing, it was a running league, in freshman football league. I mean, if you threw 25 passes in a game, that was a lot. You can throw 25 passes now in first half. Like right, when they throw football, I tell people all the time, I said, you know, if I played in this era, I'd have had 50 interceptions because <laughs> they throw the ball so much, get more opportunities. But that's just me. That's what I That's how I think. Right. But, but, but really, I, I think the quarterbacks are much better. Offenses, the players are much better. They're bigger. They're faster. They're, they're more skilled. Not saying that players in the era that I played in could not play, but the game has changed. The game is no longer played inside the hash marks. The game is played horizontally and vertically and it's played in space. You have to be a space player now to play football uh, at any level. I mean, the ball is in the air. They want to get one-on-one matchups, whether they're running the ball or throwing the ball. They put athletes in space. And if you can survive in space, you you can have a pretty good career in pro football.
0: And your program reflects that uh, two guys that jump out to me in particular, uh, Chase Lucas and Jaden Daniels, but I could also throw in there like Merlin Robertson and uh, and others. Jaden, I point to, because when we talk about, we don't use dual threat anymore, right? right. You either can go or you can't. And I need to be able to play 11 on 11 and not 10 on 11, but y'all also run the ball and you play outstanding defense How have you molded those two concepts together, playing modern football, but also we want to run the ball and be physical defensively?
1: Well, football never changes, in my opinion, and I've been involved in a long, long time. Um, You throw throw the ball to score, you run the ball to win. And I think when you have that combination, uh, when you can run the ball, you become much more physical on both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively up front. Because you got to be able to stop the run, you have to be able to stop the run, and you have to run the ball to close the game out. Uh, when the weather changes, and sometimes we have to go up north and play later on in the season, no different than the NFL. Those teams that, that play outside in the north, um, you know, we always we say in the National Football League, when the when the leaves fall off the trees, all of a sudden the game changes. So you got to be able to run the football, uh, and and you got to be able to throw it. And, and when you can throw it. That means you can score points. When you can't run it, it makes you one-handed. And when you can't run it, defenses, what defenses will do, they'll get after the quarterback. You know, and and when when you can become balanced where you can run it and throw it, you can close the game out because now you have the ability. When you have a two-score lead going into the fourth quarter, the clock is your friend because you can run the football. right you steal possessions away from the offense when you can run the football and for me good defense and a running attack that's what travels on the road really good
0: coach one of the things that I've always admired about you and one of the things that the kids tell me about when they're going through the recruiting process is your character and one of the things that I try to stress them in, in reading about you is the era in which you were raised in Right. You mentioned going to high school 68, going to Cal, but also you have a very interesting background, and I'm going to thank Trey Wingo for this. I got to know him at our Fox Sports draft party, and he had asked me, hey, ask him about growing up. Ask him about their places that he couldn't live as a child because of who his parents were. Yeah, that was early.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, my father married a war bride, a German war bride. My mom is actually 95 years old. My father passed away at 60. And, um, you know, growing up, I was born in Fort Bombard New Jersey. And then from there, we went to Germany. Um, my father was in the Army, was tw- uh, you know, 22 years in the Army, Master Sergeant. And uh, we go to Germany. My sister's born. And then when we were going to get transferred back to the United States, you're talking probably 59, somewhere right mm-hmm. around there. 1959 now. not, not, 19, not 1939, 1959. And um, we couldn't go South hmm. because my mom was a war bride. She was white. So if you look at it back in those days, a lot of the interracial marriages, people went to the West Coast. Mm-hmm. That's where they kind of sell everybody to the West Coast, right? So we ended up going to the West Coast. As I said, uh, I lived in, prom- in in the neighborhood, you know, but predominantly um multicultured. but Monterey was like uh, down the road, Another high school, uh, there was a seaside high school, the one that I should have gone to, but due to the desegregation bill that was signed in 68, I got bused. Mm-hmm. So I kind of grew up in that era. You know, you, you found out, you're talking about the civil rights movement era, to be quite honest. And um, being a young guy, you know, you're trying to figure out all this stuff, right, growing up. And it's amazing to me when I look at it right now, where we're at as a country, What what I'm proud of when I watch young people in in, in today's world, the power they have due to social media and the platforms and how they use them to create an atmosphere where we are America. And it it is a collection of people, all different walks of life and different colors and different nationalities. And young people get that. They really get that. The diversity that what I've seen, the marches, it's like when you sit here Going wow, I mean, for athletes in my era. If you decide to do something or say something, you can get blackballed. You might have been out of the league. These athletes, these performers, these people—they have a platform and they use it, and it's for the good. It's for the good of America, and it, it really, it, it really makes me feel good inside when I watch it.
0: I want to, I want to continue to ask you. Uh about that, but in, in this way, I was asked to talk with a couple of uh, coaches in some closed meetings about Black Lives Matter, but also what can we do to help our kids understand it's important that they speak on these issues if they feel they need to, how do we empower them, how do we also say that they're part of our program? And I look to you and, and how you have chosen to talk with your kids about this, if anything, What have you learned over the last 18 months, year that you would contribute to the rest of us? Well, that I have an
1: obligation to do that as your head coach, as a man of faith, and as a man that believes in doing the right thing on purpose, not by accident. And I think the thing that we've talked about here at this university is that um, you have to be the voice of reason. And it starts with communication. And it starts with being a good listener. Here's our problem. Sports is great in this sense. We huddle. A mass of athletes and people come together in this huddle and it becomes this team. And we all come from different walks of life, but it doesn't matter because we become a team because we huddle and we have these conversations in the huddle and some guy might believe this, another guy might believe that. But at the end, we communicate and we listen and we learn about each other. We don't huddle anymore. We want to debate. Everybody wants to take a side. Su- it's like I was on television. I get it. Here's the subject we're going to debate. No one wants to get in a huddle anymore and listen. And I tell them this, be the voice of reason, have solutions. Have, a, have solutions to help solve the problems. And until we're willing to huddle and listen, you can't solve anything. Right? 11 guys walk in a huddle and everybody wants to call your own play. We ain't got to play. Here's the play. This is what it looks like. We've practiced it. Now let's go execute.
0: I was taking a look at your fall schedule, and I see you got three games in 16 days. Hmm. Is that a challenge to you, knowing that at that third game, you start up Pac-12, you got Colorado?
1: Yeah, but that's our schedule. Okay. It's okay. Okay. We're good. I mean, you know, we don't have to play three of them all in one week. So we're good. I mean, the schedule is a schedule. I never worry about the schedule so much. I just worry about us. You know, for for me, it's about our preparation and what we have to do to get ready to play. I've done this long enough now. You know, you look at the schedule, go, okay, this is who we play. This is the opponent. Uh, We're into that right now. But but it's more about fixing us. You know, I've always said this. When you walk on the field, there's got to be a standard that you got to live up to if you're going to be a good football team we feel that we have a chance to be a good football team. The, all the opponents are worthy, but we can't worry about the opponents. Let's just do us and, and make people play up to our standard. We're going to play at a standard and we got to live to it. We got to practice that way. We got to prepare that way. And then we go play. That's how it works.
0: You got a really good football team. You got a really good football team returning. You finished the season. I thought with Two of the best wins that I've seen in, in a December, December in the regular season. I'm I am i gonna ask it this way. What is it that you want to see your team accomplish beyond winning a Pac-12 championship and and getting the opportunity to play in Rose Bowl playoff? What is it you want them to accomplish in 2021? Well, I want us
1: I want us to get through the season for one, okay. and, and 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 do it in a way where we play the game. And when we walk off the field, regardless if you're an ASU fan or the opponent we just played against, they go, wow, those guys play football the right way. You got to honor the game of football. I tell players this all the time. We are all ambassadors for this great game, whether we coach it or play it. What are we doing to elevate the game and make the game better? That, that's what we're here to do. Make the game better for the people that follow us. And play it in a way, when you walk off the field, the people that watch you go, whoa, I like the way those guys play football.
0: Hey, man, that's how I felt. Like, y'all open against USC. I'm, I'm looking at that game going, does, does, does USC know Arizona State here to fight? Did did they know that? And it, it toward the end, it seemed that way. But it was also... That close. And when I look at what you have, particularly with Jaden Daniels, dude, I think has thrown three interceptions in two seasons. It feels like y'all are knocking on the door of something special. And this is a quarterback who said, I want to win a Rose Bowl, Arizona State, something they haven't done since y'all haven't done since 1987. I'm born in 87. Right. Uh, Is do you have to temper that? Do you do you ask them to push into that? How do you how do you help him understand how hard that is to do while also not trying to put out the flame that is, yo, are you talking out of school
1: now? No, no, I I think this, you know, we we don't, you know, we have goals that we set every year, obviously. And um, we don't talk about it a whole lot publicly. We just keep it in house. And I always tell them this, it's it's about us. It's just, we gotta be us. And that'll be good enough. But we gotta be us every week and we have to finish. You know, we we, we we lose two games early last year. We didn't finish the game. It was us. Opponent was good. They beat us. They deserved to beat us. They made the plays and they made the plays. But when you break it all down, I always say, guys, more games are lost than won. due to error. Just due to error. Do, do, doing the wrong thing at the right time. We can't do that. We, we, we got to get past that now. We got to get out of our own way. Let's just be us. Let's just be the best we can be. That's all I always tell players. This environment and this culture is to allow every coach and every player to be the best version of who he is. If you do that, you got a chance.
0: Last thing I have for you coach, I appreciate your time. Uh, I'm gonna do it this way. Recruit me to Arizona State. What would you tell me about playing football for you?
1: Well, first, like any player wants to know the opportunity. I, I, I guarantee you this, um, you'll graduate. Mm. You're gonna graduate. That, that's, I tell every parent, I, 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 can't, I can't give you talent. God gave you your talent. I won't let you waste it. You're gonna graduate. And when you leave here, you're gonna look back at your career here, regardless of what happens, whether you play a lot, don't play a lot, you're a star, you go to the NFL, you're gonna go, you know what? That three or four years of my life, That coaching staff and that university made a difference in my life. I left with a degree, and I'm a better man for going to school there. If I do that, I win. I win. I, I won. If I can do that, I win. I win every time.
0: Arizona State head coach Herm Edwards joining us on the number one ranked show. Coach, thank you so much for your time, and I wish you great success this season. Thank you, my friend. God bless you. So that was Herm Edwards, and he was outstanding and awesome. I love that he was telling some stories about some of the hitters he played with at Cal. Because if you go take a look at those teams, you will see, yo, those were some dudes. And he's creating his own group of dudes. I mean, they returned everybody on the 2D on defense this year. They're going to be a tough out in 2021. So grateful for Herm to take that time to talk with us. All right. I want to do a new segment. Probably going to do it reoccurringly throughout the show as the show evolves. It's quarterback power rankings because I love talking about quarterbacks. And I know that quarterbacks can be up and down just like you. So I had put 10 on the list. We're going to talk about five briefly. I want to mention the other five. So at 10, I got Casey Thompson at Texas. Nine, I got Arizona State's quarterback, Jaden Daniels. At eight, I got Keaton Slovis at USC. At seven, I got Miles Brennan at LSU. And at six, I got Derek Keem at Miami. Fight me. All right, get to five. So at number five, I got a dude that's going to be a first-year starter who's going to have a new offensive coordinator who returns almost nobody from the previous year. And that's Bryce Young, right? Now, the reason I got Alabama's Bryce Young at five is precisely that, right? He does not have Steve Sarkisian calling the plays for him like he might have had if he was the starter in 2019. He's also a first-year starter, and I believe in having returning starters at quarterback because having those starts is so important, but he's got John Mechie over there catching passes for him. He's Adam Jamison Williams from Ohio State, who's immediately eligible. He's got a Jai Hall, who he seemed to have a pretty nice connection with during the spring game. And he's going to have Brian Robinson along with Roy Dell and Jace in the backfield. It's about whether or not they're going to be able to protect him because you lose really some hitters on that offensive line. Deontay Brown, Landon Dickerson, Alex Leatherwood among them. But I think that Bryce is sitting pretty here at the five spot. I know that some people are going to get upset about that, but you can't argue with having a new offensive coordinator and a new system and not having started a game for Alabama. All right, number four. I got a dude who showed up in a big way to end the 2020 season and also is just now becoming the sort of quarterback that we thought he could be when he first started playing the position two years ago, it's JT Daniels, right, at Georgia. Now, many of you know, Daniels started his career out at USC, got injured, made way for one of the dudes on this list. Keaton Slovis for all the folks that are like, "Yo, can Clay Hilton recruit? Can you, he recruited? He, he recruited Keaton Slovis, and he recruited JT Daniels, and Matt Fink went for over three hundred against Utah. Like, what what more do you want? What are we talking about here? But Daniels didn't start the season for Georgia in 2020, and there's a great argument. Shout out to Javion the uh, Javion on the what if part of this. If JT Daniels starts the 2020 season as Georgia's starting quarterback, do they play for a national championship game? I would love to hear your answer at the number one show on the Twitters, on the IGs, on the Facebooks because they started the season with Dwan Mathis, who is now the starting quarterback at Temple and they pivoted away from Mathis to a walk-on who is not Baker Mayfield will never be Baker Mayfield but is Stetson Bennett. And you ran with Stetson Bennett against what would be the national champ and the team to go 13-0 and undefeated in an all SEC regular season schedule. Then you could play JT Daniels later in the year. And then JT Daniels goes off, has himself a closer of a game against Cincinnati. Now, the things that I don't like about JT Daniels last year are things that are fixed this year. You also return Todd Munkin as his offensive coordinator and you get almost everybody back. Now, the reason that he's probably four on this list has to do with, can he still read these coverages? Because there were some things against Cincinnati that he did that I was going, how do you how do you not check out of that play? How do you not check out of a run when you see eight in the box, right? How do you not check into something when you see that they are backing off of you and go to a run, right? But that said, he still threw for a bunch of yards and won a peach bowl against what I thought was one of the best group of five teams in all of football last year. Then add that JT Daniels returns Kiaris Jackson, right? Gets Jermaine Burton. has Darnell Washington out there. he Gets Dominique Blaylock, He loses George Pickens, though. We don't know for how long. We do know it's an ACL injury that he suffered in spring, and George Pickens has been basically the only set of reliable hands at Georgia for the past two years, and I think could be a first-round draft pick no matter what he decides to do in 2021. Okay. Number three on the list, a returning starter of sorts, of sorts, but a dude who is the most Thule quarterback in college football day. He's 6'4", 6'5", about 250, can throw a football over the mountains and can move well. That is Clemson's DJ Uwe Anglele. Now, first, shout out to me because I can say his whole name. Unlike some of y'all's favorite analysts, because I was in the mirror practicing and have been practicing for the better part of three years, because I knew that this five star was going to be a dude and I'm not going to be the man out here in college football media, not being able to say DJ Ui Ungulale. Okay. Also. That man brought brought Clemson back against Boston College in a game that they should have lost to Boston College where Travis Etienne could not run the ball and was fumbling the ball on the goal line. Travis Etienne just got drafted in the first round. DJ Uyunglele in his first start shows up and says, give me the ball, watch what I do with it. And then when you lose the number one overall pick in the draft and a dude that is responsible for leading you to the college football playoff Every year that he started at Clemson, here comes DJ Uyunglele against Notre Dame on the road in a game that they damn near won. Throw off all the yards. He got those starts. He performed well on those starts. He gets Justin Ross back. We think he's going to be cleared to play wide receiver for Clemson. And he's going to be breaking a new tailback, but I like Lynn J. Dixon behind him, right? He's one of my college football short Kings 2021. Check that list. But I also believe that you're going to be able to see more out of DJ Ui this year because he's going to be more comfortable. He is far and away perhaps, uh, the 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 best starter that they've had. And I think I think he's more talented than Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I said it. I said it. I think he is more talented than Trevor Lawrence. We'll see what he has when it's, really his show to run but I have all faith in what Brandon Streeter quarterback coach at Clemson is able to do and we all know that Tony is one of them dudes right because Tony Elliott has been one of them dudes for some time I'm all in on the DJ Ui Anglele experience if for no other reason than once again I could say his name Sam Howell at number two here right I got Sam Howell at number two because well you, you saw my mock draft but also this is one of the most accomplished true freshman quarterbacks that we had seen since Jameis Winston. And then as a sophomore, all he did was lead North Carolina to an Orange Bowl berth. Now, going into this 21 season, we're going to get to see what Sam Howell is made of. Because last year was perhaps the most loaded year that UNC has had in quite some time with the weapons that they had at their disposal. De'Ami Brown, Daz Newsom, Javante Williams. Michael Carter, and those are just four of them dudes, right? All dudes that he was throwing to, all dudes that Phil Longo was like, yo, we're going to turn it up. We're going to go fast here. I do love the maturation of Sam Howell too, right? Because he's, I call him Howitzer Howell because he can throw a football really, really far, but he's also really, really accurate. And I think if he can lead UNC to nine, 10 wins this year, yeah, he's going to solidify his spot this year, but he's also going to have to grow some dudes up around him quick, fast, and in a hurry because it's one thing to have an experienced starter at quarterback going into year three. It is another thing not to have dudes on the same page with him that have been playing ball with him for at least the last year. So I want to see what Phil Longo and Sam Howell are able to do at UNC in this all-important year for Sam Howell and his NFL draft status because this is one of those dudes that is going into this year penciled in as a first-round draft pick in 2022. And then at number one. Quarterback at Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler, for a number of reasons. And the first one is nothing to do with with Rattler at all and everything to do with Lincoln Riley. You look at Lincoln Riley's track record as a quarterback's coach, you see Baker Mayfield, you see Kyler Murray, you see Jalen Hurts, and now you've seen the only guy that he's ever coached at Oklahoma out of high school in Rattler. Now, the knock against Rattler is he got pulled during the middle of OU Texas for Tanner Mordecai because... He was losing control of the offense and Lincoln said, I, right, you need a timeout. Come stand by me for the rest of the first half, throw him back in the game. And then Rattler leads you to a four overtime win against Texas wins. Cotton blow also means that he got Lincoln Riley, the first bowl win of his head coaching career, which is a thing we conveniently just miss, but also he returns almost everybody on that offense, right? They lose Creed Humphrey at center. And they lose Adrian Ealy over there at tackle. But you got Marvin Mims coming back, who was a freshman at All-America with Spencer Rattler. You got Theo Weiss on the outside. You got Jaden Hazelwood, who was the number one wide receiver in the 2019 class. You got Austin Stogner at tight end, who's every bit a six foot six to And you got Marcus Major joining Kennedy Brooks at tailback, along with, oh yeah, Eric Gray, who was a man amongst men in the SEC at Tennessee last year. Also Ty Chandler, who was at Tennessee with him over at North Carolina with your man, Sam Howell. So today, going into the summer, those are my top 10, listening the whole way, quarterbacks in the power rankings. We'll see how this looks come training camp. We'll see how this looks come football. And I'm sure that this is going to be a week-to-week bit. Let me know what you think of the list at number one show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, right? So that is the show for today. If you like the show, please rate it wherever it is you get your podcast. If you listen on Apple, that's a good place to do that. Follow the YouTube channel on the YouTubes. It's on Spotify. It's wherever it is you get your podcast. Give me some feedback here. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. My thanks to Coach Edwards for joining us for the show. We already got some tremendous feedback on the Bob Stoops interview. Send us some notes about who you would like us to talk to next. Until then, I will see y'all next Monday. Sit for me, doses.